All right, we're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning, and while you guys are turning in your Bibles or getting your iPhones open to John chapter 6, we'll be starting in verse 25. I really like to start teachings with a kind of a question to get your brain interacting with the teaching of the sermon, so it's not just data going in, but you're interacting with what's being said. So how many of you have ever had a craving (laughs) that you just, you wanted it fulfilled? For example, for myself, over the last three weeks, I've just been dying for some Thai food, like super spicy, delicious, over-the-top Thai food. And every time I've been like, hey, babe, let's get Thai food. No, we don't want Thai food. No, we're not going to Thai food. No, we're not going to. Finally, last night, we end our Shabbat. My wife's like, tonight's the night. We're getting Thai food. I'm like, yes, I can't wait for Thai food. And then the Thai food shows up, and it had no flavor. It was the worst Pad Thai I've ever had. Has this ever happened to you? You've had this deep hunger for something, and then when you finally get it, you're like, total dissatisfaction. Okay, now let's take that, and let's go one step further to interact with the teaching this morning. (laughs) Have you ever had something that you just so hungered for in your soul? Oh, man, I know if I had this, if I had this, then I'd be satisfied. If this would come through for me, if this situation would unfold, if this relationship would take root, if this position at work would be given, if this level of success would be granted, I want you to think about the things that in our souls, in our lives, we crave. That right now you're just, let it rise to the surface. I'm so hungry for this. What is that? Now let's just take a deep breath into our bellies and we're going to get into the teachings and listen to how Jesus wants to address those deep hungers, those deep needs, those those unrelenting desires that we all have and how he meets those desires, but definitely not in the way that we think. Father, as we gather around your word this morning now, we ask that our spirits would be satisfied in you. God, we take a moment here to just listen to the birds. To the movement of life on the 15 behind us. To just feel creation breathing and living and fed by you this morning. We all have cravings this morning, Jesus that ultimately will not satisfy. It'll be tasteless, bland pad thai after you've ached for it for weeks. (laughs) Satisfy our souls this morning. Spirit come in Jesus' name, amen. You and I, we were created to live in satisfied union with our creator. And sin separated us from that union with God himself And so all of us now find ourselves starved for God. And we try to satiate. We try to fill that hunger up with all sorts of different things. For some, we try to fill it up with wealth or the gaining of wealth or relationships or success. 
There are countless pseudo forms of soul food that leave us ultimately dissatisfied as we pursue them, whether we gain them or not. And a subtle one that's really taken root in our culture, especially here in San Diego, is like literal food, fitness and food and nutrition. For some, diet literally becomes like a religious obsession. And the evangelists of this new religion, they offer salvation by nutrition. If we'll just adopt one of their plans, of which there really is no end. Listen to this. I, just got, I put together a brief cursory list of the diets in the modern urban hubs. Atkins diet, South Beach diet, Mediterranean diet, Zone diet, Weight Watchers, the HCG diet, carnivore meat only diet. That sounds fun. Whole 30, the low fat craze, the high fat craze, using ketogenic phasing, very scientific. Vegetarianism, pescatarianism, fish only. High fiber diets, low carb diets, carb loading, carb cycling, gluten free diets, intermittent fasting, macro counting, the Daniel diet. I even came across this past week the what would Jesus eat diet? Yeah, for real. <laughs> and of course, who of us has not been, you know, somewhat passively, aggressively, you know, encouraged by our vegan friend to avoid heart disease and heal the planet and go plant-based only? <laughs> now, listen, I, I know I've triggered all of us, and this is why. Because there's not a single one of us that hasn't at least tried or in the middle of or have quit one of these diets. All of us. And this is, not, this is not a bad thing. You guys, diet and fitness and nutrition, it's not a bad thing. And there's literally, there's no question that certain nutrition plans, they do have radical healing effects on all sorts of issues within the human flesh. Yet, even the most perfect diet, it will never satisfy our souls. Now, John 6 is called the bread of life discourse. And in it, Jesus says some very strange and provocative things. Jesus claims to be the only true food that can satisfy our deepest needs. And Jesus, through this discourse, he explains the necessity of taking himself into our being, like we would take bread into our being, that we would become one with him and that he would become one with us. This is such a bizarre set of teachings that it's at this juncture in Jesus's life that many people just bailed out on him. They were like, this is just too strange. This is just too much. We're going to jump in at verse 22, verse 22, John chapter six, and we'll work our way through an entire section. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. 
As Jesus of Nazareth's popularity grew, so did the crowds that followed him throughout Asia Minor. They initially came for Jesus's provocative teachings, but more importantly, they began to follow him because word was spreading about him that he was a miracle maker. Some in this crowd, they had actually eaten the bread that Jesus had multiplied from a poor man's Galilean lunch of five barley loaves and a couple sardines. They were seeking Jesus as a magic man to satisfy their earthly desires. But Jesus' mission was not primarily to feed the bellies of his followers. Yes, Jesus was and is a provider for this physical life for us. But ultimately, Jesus came to reunite humans with God in perfect, loving, all-satisfying union. And Jesus loved humans too much to just kind of be a magic man, a miracle worker for this life and this life alone. Jesus understood himself to be the source of true life that went beyond the life that you and I are living right now. Therefore, when the crowds came seeking him for only earthly reasons, just to have their bellies filled, he actually just pointed them towards what he was really about. He didn't respond to their questions at all. He just kind of like a good presidential debater, ignored what the question was and said what he wanted to say in the way that he wanted to say it for the sake of the souls who were searching for him. His response to this first question from the crowds, it should cause you and I right now this morning to just pause and be like, whoa, to carefully consider what am I working for? What am I spending my life energy working for? What am I craving and going after more than anything else? Are we spending our lives on things that are going to last on into eternity or on things that ultimately will spoil? Jesus, out of tenderness and love and out of understanding for our brokenness and our hunger, Jesus would say, loved ones, don't work for that which is going to spoil Learn to work for the nourishment and the satisfaction that is sourced in God's life alone. We feed our lives or we try to feed our lives with riches and comfort and success. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with riches. There's nothing wrong with comforts. There's nothing wrong with success. Nothing at all. But when we make that our ultimate source of identity and nourishment, at some point, all of those things are going to spoil. They will not satisfy fully and deeply and completely. They just simply are not enough to sustain the human soul, which was created for eternity and to be absorbed and consumed by God himself. And so Jesus, out of love, draws all of our attention to what truly matters, to what will truly last and in so doing, he calls us to the continual act of repentance. Repentance says to Jesus, I'm hearing you, and I want you alone to give me what will last. I'm going to turn from my cravings of pad thai and riches and comfort and success as ultimate, and I'm going to turn to Jesus, and I'm going to say, Jesus, this act of repentance is saying to you, whatever it is you want for my life, that's what I want. I want to work for what you want me to work for. 
Now, verses 28 to 29 raises the question, how do we work for Jesus? They asked him, verse 28, we, what must we do to do the works of God? Or what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. This is tricky. This is, this is tricky Jesus. As Torah observant Jews and as an itinerant Jewish rabbi, these crowds would have been anticipating Jesus as they come and they say, what should we do to do the work that God requires of us so that we can be satisfied, right? They're anticipating a Jewish rabbi to say, well, the 10 commandments of Torah, that is the old Testament. You obey these rules and these rules and you do this and you do that and you'll be satisfied. But Jesus doesn't do that at all. Tricky Jesus. He instead says, you want to know what the work is? The work is to believe in me, to believe in me. When Jesus says believe, belief in the mind of Jesus is more than just an intellectual awareness of Jesus. Like we all have an intellectual awareness of George Washington, but he doesn't change our life. When Jesus says believe, he says belief means give the whole of your life and existence and dreams and desires. Belief means lay all of that down at my feet and let me rule it. Belief in Jesus is an act of complete surrender. Belief in Jesus is letting go of control of our lives, letting go of pursuing the cravings that we think will satisfy. Belief in Jesus releases our past and it releases our present moment unto him and it releases our future into his hands. And Jesus called this type of belief work, God's work, because it requires an intentional and very difficult choice, not just once, but moment by moment. Even right now in the middle of a sermon, God would say through Jesus, believe in the one he has sent. And we make an intentional choice in the moment, Sunday morning to say, all right, I'm opening myself to God in this moment. I'm going to release all of my fears and anxieties and hopes and dreams to him. And that is difficult because we're deceived by sin and we have a limited perspective we assume that we have control and we think that we know best. And that's what makes this surrender, this level of trust so strenuous. Therefore, this type of belief that Jesus calls us to, it's very intense. The authors of the Bible, they later on pick up on this intensity of belief and Paul would describe it as wrestling. The story of the book of Joseph and Jacob, excuse me, wrestling with God to believe. Or Paul would say in the book of Corinthians that he agonized, he like sweat over this relationship with God. Belief, it stays focused on Jesus and it continually carefully discerns what we're working for and how we're working for it, either through our own efforts or through faith in Jesus. The work of belief, it rests in his love. No matter what's going on around us, no matter what we're receiving or not receiving in this life, Belief labors at resting in God's love. And this belief, it's intentional. This belief works against distraction through practices like silence and then godly speech. Through learning to be still in the midst of the chaos so that our behavior reflects what Jesus would have us to behave as. This work, it's focused scripture reading complemented by trusting prayer. Belief works at actually trusting the actual Jesus, and this is a big one for us, not just kind of the Jesus of our own making, 
who like never says no to us, <laughs> the Jesus who always makes sense to us in the way that he rules our lives, belief works at believing in the actual Jesus as he's ruling over us. And belief for Jesus actually equaled obedience, total obedience. The more that we believe in Jesus, the more all of our actions will reflect a complete and total surrendered obedience to Jesus. And that believing obedience means that we in this moment are open to whatever he may call us to at any given moment. And then we commit to that obedience with all of our heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. And that level of trust, loved ones, is radical. But in the mind of Jesus, that was just normal Christianity. I think what a lot of Western Christians would consider extreme, like, whoa, that is heavy. Jesus would say, that's normal Christianity. That's the call of true discipleship. Complete surrendered dependence and release of everything unto God in every single moment of our lives. And nevertheless... Despite it being normal for Jesus and his expectation being that of us, that level of belief raises challenges from within our hearts because of that sin, because of that self-sustaining thing that we live in where we just believe that these cravings will satisfy us. It causes us to resist and to challenge that level of belief. We want to stay in the driver's seat. And so the first thing we do when we're challenged with this level of belief is we say, all right, I want proof. Prove to me that you're so satisfying. Prove to me why I should labor at such complete surrender to you. And that's what these folks do in verse 30. Read with me in verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is a very Jewish way of them saying, all right, Jesus, this is a heavy-duty, intense thing that you're saying. If you do this, then maybe we'll do that. It's the thing that we've all done with Jesus. And if you haven't done this, you haven't been a Christian for more than five minutes. We basically come to Jesus in prayer and we say, if you're there, you make this happen, and then I'll trust you. If you're good, you do this. Here's my list of things that you need to do to prove yourself to me. And then maybe I'll trust you. And that's not how our souls actually end up satisfied, you guys. That actually is what starves us of the life of God. Because we do not get to stay in the driver's seat with Jesus. Belief in Jesus only fully satisfies us the more we are mastered by God, not masters of God. Can I just say that one more time? This is from a couple of weeks ago. If your soul this morning is lacking and aching and hurting and longing, belief in Jesus will only satisfy you to the degree that you're mastered by Jesus, not mastering Jesus. And so Jesus, out of love and mercy, he looks at us and all of our lists of prove this to me and prove that to me. And he says, I just, I love you too much. I'm just going to point you back to myself. I'm not going to bow to your checklist of demands, of signs and proofs. I'm going to say, look at me. I told pre-gathering prayer group this morning, like, this sermon to me just feels like me saying the same thing over and over and over and over because it's what Jesus has done with me for 20 years. Just look at me, Dan. Just trust me, Dan. Just be with me, Dan. Just surrender to me right now, Dan. I know you've got your list of wants and desires. I will meet those in ways you can't imagine, but not until I am your nourishment and satisfaction. I'm not going to prove anything to you, kiddo. 
I'm the boss, applesauce, as we say in my house. Verses 32 through 35, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so, as I said, Jesus basically says to them and to us, no signs for you. You're putting too much attention on Moses. These folks, they were good Jewish people and they knew their Old Testaments, but they knew their Old Testaments only from an earthly perspective. In other words, they were reading their Bibles through the lens of this earth and their physical bellies, whereas Jesus knew the Old Testament shadowing or the Old Testament stories as foreshadowings of himself. They read from the earthly perspective and they translated and interpreted the Bible from an earthly perspective, but Jesus knew that he was the better Moses and he knew that he was the actual bread from heaven. And so Jesus loved them so much that he wouldn't even allow them to misread their Bibles. As they bring Moses to the forefront, they say, prove to us in the way that Moses proved to us. He says, that story points to me. I'm the ultimate bread, not given by men, but sent from God. It's crucial for us to see how Jesus understood himself because until you and I come to complete grips with who he claimed to be, we're going to be starved of soul because we're going to be making up a Jesus of our own minds. The false Jesuses that we all have, that we all serve, that we're trying to kind of get to bow to our list of demands, leave our souls starved for the real Jesus. Jesus was the embodied fulfillment of every story that we read in the Bible, all the laws, all the obscure, weird things, all the like craziness in the Song of Solomon, all of the Leviticus and all the weird stuff with like, don't eat bats. All that stuff is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so when we come to our Bibles only from an earthly perspective, rather than bringing heaven on earth, we miss what the Bible is even about. And Jesus comes and he corrects us and he says, every word you read points back to me so that you can feed on me, know me, be one with me, be loved by me, rest in me. He knew himself to be the only true fulfillment for humanity. So no matter how much we demand our signs and our proofs, no matter if you're like me, how much you throw your temper tantrums in prayer, get down on the ground, beat your fist, cry your eyes out, Jesus comes and he says, I love you so much, I will not concede to that type of control. I will be in control. And he always points to himself over and over, saying, I want you now to do the hard work of letting go. Not with proofs and signs, I want you to let go by faith. I want you to do the hard work of believing in me no matter what you see. Believe in me in global plague. Believe in me in political shenanigans. Believe in me in social unrest. Believe in me in financial distress. Believe in me in relational breakup. Believe in me in the midst of depression and anxiety, hurt, fear, shame, guilt. I love you. Believe in me. Every other course you choose will leave you starved. Believe in me, Jesus will say, over and over and over and over. Verses 34 to 35, they want some of this. Sounds good. Verse 34, sir, they said, give us this bread. I'm down. Then Jesus declared, 
You're still not getting it. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is important because this moment where he says, I'm the bread of life, it's the first of seven I am statements that John organizes his gospel around. You guys want to get some Bible nerd on this morning? Let's get some Bible nerd on. We're going to learn some big words. Jesus' I am the bread of life, it's a direct reflection of the name that God gives to himself in the Old Testament. Moses is being called to deliver the nation of Israel. Moses says, who should I tell them sent me? What name should I give to them? And God says to Moses, tell them it's a Hebrew verb. It's, it's like, it's literally just a Hebrew verb. Translated most simply, tell them I am sent you. Big word, the Old Testament word, tetragrammaton. Can you guys all say that? Tetragrammaton. There, you just learned an amazing word about the Old Testament. That's the name of God. I am. Jesus picks up on that, and in seven different instances through the Gospel of John, seven being the number of perfection and completion, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the shepherd. I am the light. In this instance, he says, I am the bread of life. God is the bread of life. It's both a personal reference to his deity and also a finger pointing to our father who is our only source of satisfaction in union with him as we work at surrendering and trusting Jesus, his son. When they say, these folks, yes, give us this bread. It's very doubtful that they actually understood what they were saying in that moment. They still had this kind of earthly thing going on. They were still thinking that the magic man was like offering them endless lunches and like open bar for drinks, like you'll never be thirsty again. This is the way that they were thinking. They weren't grasping the depth of what he was getting at. And so they still actually in their souls weren't, they had this outward obedience, but they weren't yielding to him as ultimate. Essentially what they were saying is, okay, you keep giving us whatever we want in this life. And if you keep giving it, then we'll believe in you and we'll keep believing in you. That's kind of the game that we all play with God. You give me what I want, and when you give it to me, then I'll believe. And we have these kind of negotiations with him. And Jesus says, nope, 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 nope. That's not the way it works. You don't even understand the categories. That pad thai has no flavor. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. And so when he says, I am, he's trying to jar them. He's trying to disorient their categories. He's saying there's something deeper here that you're going to need to chew on for your whole life. This won't come quick. This won't come easy. This is a process of meditation, silence, stillness, embodied presence, action, obedience, outward charismatic expression. It's all of these things and more. And these categories are heavenly. They're not earthly. I am the bread of life. Only God can give us our deepest desires and satisfy us fully. Now, of course, after we become Christians, we need a roof over our head and we need water and we need food. We need physical nourishment again and again and again. But that is not what the bread of life discourse is dealing with here. And Jesus, by the way, has already proved that he cares and that he can provide exactly what we need from a poor man's Galilean lunch for 15,000 people. He's already proved his point. If you need physical food, I will show up for you. That's not what I'm trying to direct your hearts to, the Lord is saying. Jesus was dealing with this deep inward being of ourselves. 
And he was talking about satisfying a hunger that so often we are actually unaware that that hunger is driving us. We don't recognize that our hunger for God is what is driving us towards these false sources of satisfaction. All of us are starving in our core for union with God. And so the loneliness, the striving, the anxiety, the depression, the fears of life, the need for significance and acceptance in the eyes of people around us, those are all hunger pains of starvation for God. There are souls saying you're hungry to be accepted by God and know it experientially. You're hungry to be in communion and in fellowship with God and with others. That's why you feel lonely. The depression, God said, Jesus said, my joy will be in you fully. These are all the hunger pains of souls. All of us starved for God. So we're not to run from those hunger pains. We're actually to honor them and allow them to lead us into the deeper nourishing places with Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he was sent to satisfy in this life and in the life to come. That's why he's the bread of life. And when we intentionally choose to wrestle and to agonize and to do the hard work of believing in him by moment by moment, surrendering our existence to him and letting him master us and rule us more and more deeply, our hunger and our thirst are quenched. More and more, our cravings are satisfied, and ultimately, we will be fulfilled forever in union with God. That is what the kingdom of God will be. Humans and God on earth, as it is in heaven, as one, fully satisfied in him and with each other. That's what we're going for. That's what this little tiny group of people right here is like the end breaking. This is like, this is like an outpost of that, the frontier. This is a thin space where that happens on a Sunday morning. Once we have truly tried him and try him again and again and again and again, and once we have truly trusted him and we trust him again and again and again, the more deeply we come to know him, not only in an intellectual ascent to his existence, but to know him experientially in the mystery of who he is, in the mystery of how he works in our souls, there our hunger ever so slowly, moment by moment, day by day, month by month, year by year, until our death, we learn to let go of the world's satisfactions and trust in heaven's satisfactions until we are full at the very end. This is the process of Christianity. And it's work. It's choice by choice by choice. Moment of faith by moment of faith by moment of trust by moment of surrender over and over and over. Next week, we'll talk about how God's the one that draws that, but we choose to receive that. Though we choose to receive that, God helped us to choose to receive that. All the complexities of Christian theology. I'm stoked about next week. But for today, I think Jesus would gently come to each one of us and he would say, this morning, my son, my daughter, I want you, whatever it is that came to your mind, when you began listening to this sermon, Jesus is saying, I want you to try to today for the next 10 minutes, stop in your soul working for that food that's going to spoil. Just stop. Just stop. Try it. Work at it. Agonize over rest. <laughs> Laboriously rest that God will provide. God will put you in whatever success he wants to put you into. 
and actively feed right now on the fact that the creator of the universe brought every single memory and moment of your past, every interaction, every pain, every blessing to bring you to this Sunday morning here under the gentle, soft sunlight, the birds chirping, 515 just ripping past us to say, feed on my love in this moment right now. Just release and be satisfied. I want you to be full. Work at trusting that my provision is going to be there for you. Know that I am guiding you. I am a voice behind you to the right, to the left. Isaiah chapter 30. To be full this morning, loved ones, is to be fully mastered by God, fully ruled by God in every fiber of our being, in every thought. To be hard at work believing in Jesus is the lifelong process of learning to be still and be satisfied in the way that he's ruling our lives. And nowhere is that more clearly seen than at the cross of Jesus. Every week we take communion here at Neighbors, and we're going to come to communion now. Joshua is going to be leading us in uh, communion meditation and in song. I think I would invite us this morning as we prepare to sing to the Lord and respond to his exhortation. Um, that communion this morning would be a time of deeper satisfaction in union with God. That maybe even today you would envision as you're bringing, uh, you'll come forward and Katie's going to be serving the, the communion this morning. You grab the cup and it's a little package. Just envision holding whatever you've been working for and envision it like it's a plate of food. <laughs> you've been striving to get this particular plate of food, whatever it is. I, I know what mine is. It's right here. And I'm going to hand that to Jesus at the foot of the cross. And he, in turn, is going to give me a plate that just overflows, a feast, Psalm 23. In the presence of the park, he's going to give me a feast, a feast in my soul that's mysterious, that may not come with a sense of fame or a sense of riches or a sense of success, but it's a feast that sets our souls at rest where we are so well fed, knowing that we today in this moment are exactly where God wants us to be with him, with each other, in him, forgiven and loved and on our way to eternal life. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Work at believing that today. Let that fill the fibers of your being. Holy Father, as we come this morning now to commune with you and remember that Jesus was sent to be our all-satisfying bread, I just don't want to rush. I personally don't want to rush. Church can just become a pseudo thing, pseudo food for my soul. Look at all the Christian things that I was doing. Look at all this stuff. But I, I want to do it out of oneness with you, Jesus. I just bring my, my shame to you here alongside my brothers and sisters. The shame that says I have to be successful. The shame that says I have to be this impressive, 
the shame that says I have to look this way or act this way or be accepted by these people. I just uncover all of that before you, Jesus, with my family, and I pray that my prayers and my confession would bring them to places of confession. I pray for a sweet tenderness to begin to just fill the deepest places of our being. If you would, here at Neighbors, we practice embodied prayer like we believe that our bodies are part of our prayer life as much as our souls. If you would, just breathe into your body and become aware of your breath and where that anxiety is, where the shame is, where the guilt is, where the hunger for this or that, the striving, the anxiety, the longings to be loved and accepted. Feel that in your body and let that just become part of your prayer to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I repent and I want to work for the food that doesn't spoil. Sometimes we have to spend our whole life becoming even aware of those hungers. This is what the incredible work of therapy and counseling does for us. It helps us to explore Oh my gosh, I've been starved for God. That memory of my dad that wounded me so deeply created starvation for God. That failure in my life, that moment where I didn't get what I wanted, that enhanced, that amplified and intensified this hunger for God. I miss my God. I miss union with God. I'm so starved. And now just not resisting those points of pain, but acknowledging them as areas that only Jesus can satisfy. No matter how many people think you're so beautiful, no matter how many people think you're so amazing, no matter how much you are applauded by other humans, at some point your soul is just withering, starved for Jesus's love. And he comes to you this morning and he says, I love you, I love you, I love you so much that I will give my body for you. I will lay down my very physical being so that you can be one with my father as I am. Nothing separating us. And there's nothing in this moment, in this park, on Sunday morning, here in the middle of San Diego, there is nothing keeping our souls from eating and feeding on Jesus more deeply today than we did yesterday. More intentionally than we did in this moment of communion than we did 10 minutes ago in the middle of this sermon. Holy Spirit, come. Spirit, come. Grant us your mercy and grant us satisfaction in some measure today that we might carry that into our week this week. Union with you. Bread of life. In Jesus' name.